everyone. Welcome back to 90 Days on Fire. It's your girl, Reality Squad, and I am joined by Tote the Memes. Hello. And 90 Days of Drama. What's up? So we are covering two weeks worth of HEA for you guys. Season 5, Episode 9, Burnt Truths and... Oh, I wrote that wrong. Is it Burnt Bridges and Bitter Truths, I think? And season five, yeah, (laughs) typo. And season five, episode 10, Drawing the Line. And a lot has happened in these last couple episodes. So we're just going to jump right in. We saw everything kind of come to a head for uh, Colt and Jess in, in Brazil Drama, what did you, drama being that that's your name, what did you think of the shoe throwing uh, fight? Oh my God. Uh, Jess has totally got a hot temper, right? She's, she's quick to go from zero to 60 pretty fast. I mean, it was weird that she left, right? She, she left, she packed all her bags, told Colt she was going to go have sex with her ex. That <laughs> and was so come- funny. <laughs> And she comes back like what two in the morning with security. Yeah, that, they they just kind of glossed over that. That was really weird. Um, she Colt said she came back at two o'clock in the morning with a security guard. So he decided to get his own room, and they just left it at that. Tote, what did you think about that? It was so weird. I wanted to know what was going on. I guess she was banging on his door. I can't imagine being woken up that early in the morning and then not knowing what's going on. I wish they would have elaborated on that. Yeah, and you could tell when they were leaving for the airport, Debbie looked mm-hmm. PO'd. And according to Colt, they when they had that fight in the hotel about Vanessa babysitting the cat, that was the end for Debbie. She didn't see anything past that. So, But she looked really put out. What did you guys think about that? Debbie looked like she was losing her battle and she was climbing, you know, she was swimming upstream. She was just getting all her, her excuses and her, whatever it is that she thinks, you know, like just to tell Cole to stay away from this poor girl. I mean, she's definitely trying to establish his relationship and wants Colt all to herself. I have a viewer's confession here for you guys. It's pretty okay. interesting here. Not so interesting, very uh, unsurprising, but it states, whether it's true or not, I wonder how money fame sick you have to be to stay and actively participate in a show where the running joke among fans is that you have an incestuous relationship with your son. (laughs) Colton (laughs) and Debbie are plain gross. And the reason I stopped watching any shows with them, are you guys still watching them? Have you guys seen, too, how sassy Debbie has gotten on social media? She's decided to just go full out sass queen, and then she'll even post those, like, kissy, you know, emojis alongside after being savage and added that in her name. Yeah, Yeah, I noticed she changed her name. Yeah. Savage Debbie. Extra. (laughs) It's Colt. Savage Colty, right? Savage Colt. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I completely agree with that viewer's confession. It's they're to- they totally play into that aspect of their relationship. You could see that when they were on Pillow Talk, and that's almost even creepier. Like they're not even trying to like distance themselves from each other. They're like playing that up more, and it's like really mm-hmm. gross. It is really gross. And you see Colt, he states, you know, I feel really paranoid. I can't handle it. It's like I'm walking around eggshells. And he's referring to obviously his mother being in the picture and her saying whatever she's going to say at the heat of, in the heat of the moment and ruin his relationship with Jess. Yeah. And then Jess, it's like, that was wild. She was out of control. <laughs> so that was totally an uncalled for reaction and you know we never saw the shoe throwing incident with Darcy and Jesse we just saw the aftermath but it was like and I know Jess is young but it's like that to me that was just so childish but Colt uh, I could see Colt like evoking those emotions out of someone 
not gonna lie I was here for it I was so excited before the season started I was like yeah something gets thrown at Colt and then her aim though we talk about how good that aim is I was like wow right. I had an arm like that you know what if I was a pissed off if I was as pissed off as Jess I think I would have thrown a shoe too I, I've thrown phones before but <laughs> <laughs> I mean I was also really young but at the same time when you're so upset at somebody especially for lying to you about another woman, you know, there's, mm-hmm. what, are the, what do you call that line? Hell hath no fury as a woman, like a woman yeah. scorned or upset, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wild to me that she threw the shoe though, knowing that Colt has this propensity to decide to call police on women that have any kind of violence towards him. So that kind of, I know that they're in Brazil, but it was all on camera. I guess just all that went out the door. She was just angry and all she could see was red. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, a, that's a good point. He did lie to her, you know, a white lie is a lie. I mean, he shouldn't have lied to her, especially about another woman. I mean, he probably didn't know that Debbie was going to play in against the whole um, Vanessa and Jess situation. He really probably didn't feel like his mother would would say, you know, to sabotage his relationship like that. But Debbie was super manipulative. I mean, she had cults in the hotel room um, by himself. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. just sat there just just poisoning his mind. And I felt so bad for Colt at that moment. I'm like, dude, you're 30 years old. You are being manipulated right now by your mother. You're sitting there like a little kid. And she's just telling you, telling you what to say or what how to feel, you know? Mm-hmm. So super manipulative, very cringe scene in that hotel room between her and Colt. How happy did she look to be going home though? <laughs> she had a pep in her step on the on the way to the airport <laughs> she's like don't propose don't propose she was so extra i think that was the most extra and i like though that the camera made sure to pan debbie in the scene along with them that was i yeah. appreciated tlc shout out to tlc for that but <laughs> it was crazy she's like okay colt we gotta go it's okay <laughs> Did they really? I really wanted to see the time. Like, you know, did they really have to go, or is this just Debbie being upset that someone's taking her man? They probably hung out for a couple hours, seeing that it's an international flight. <laughs> I mean, she did. She did say, "Damn!" As soon as she realized that she was losing her battle, she's like, "Damn." Yeah. Okay, we need to talk about probably what is lighting up social media for the last couple weeks, but it's. Kalani Asuelu, Asuelu's family, and just the the demand for money, the seemingly inconsideration of his children. To over the last two weeks, what has your perception of Asuelu's family been? I think it's so sad that Asuelu's been able to articulate to them that you know he doesn't have this money that. He has children. He needs to take care for his children. And they just don't even care. It's not even like, you know, okay, we can compromise. It's no, if you love your family, this is what you're going to do. And it's this lack of understanding too, of what life is like in America, which is weird since they've been living in America. And Tammy has been living in America longer than Oswelo. So she mm-hmm. should understand, you know, that it's not like you just show up to America and then you get money for living here. So it's, it's just, it's crazy to me, especially as a grandmother. Why is she not concerned for her grandchildren? Why is she not concerned for her son? She just raised them to have money. What shocked me is I thought um, episode nine was a little bit more comical, like with the food trucks and the best of the best and um, everything like that. But when he, they're at the goat farm and he is crying and you could see the hurt in his eyes she does not care. She doesn't care. I think it's ridiculous and so wrong for this to take advantage of this young couple with two small children. I mean, it's funny that the sister can afford like a great manicure, but mm-hmm. she has audacity to take money from her brother only working part-time with two small babies. I mean, even even the mother had her nails done, you know, yeah. it's like, well, if you really needed money and you're you're really that broke, you know, you getting your nails done. I mean, she's really asking Asuelu to pay for her life. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten my nails done in a year because it's like when you can't afford much, you know, you prioritize things. But it's just sad that they just want this really nice lifestyle. It's not that they need the money to survive. 
they just want to be able to buy all these extra things. And I think that's so selfish and so sad. My heart almost goes out to Oswelo though, realizing that not only is he torn between his families, but that he just feels this realization of, wow, my family only loves me because I can give them money. If I can't give them money, then I'm not really loved and supported by, you know, the people that raised me. Yeah, they are just an extremely toxic family, toxic people in general. I mean, seeing Asuelo cry and there was no heart in this mother. She was just stone cold. There was no, all she said was what, stop crying or don't cry, you know? And, and Asuelo is a grown man. He was holding his own son crying. It was really heartbreaking to see. You know, part of me thinks that maybe they never talk about it, but maybe they have this perception that they're making a lot of money by being on this TV show. I mean, we know that they don't get paid very much, but who knows what his family might think that about them appearing on reality TV. Because I get the impression that his mom almost thinks, oh, or she even said it, like, why are you hiding the money? And mm-hmm. he's like, look, we don't, we can't give you what we don't have. And it, I, I just need, I need Lo to meet Asuelu's mother. And I need to see that confrontation happen. <laughs> I just need what it if, to. What if you found out that Lo has been sending money back home to Samo- Samoa? <laughs> Shoot. I never thought of that. <laughs> I think that Lo, at least he seems very articulate. You know, I think all of us want this drama, but at least I think he'd articulate to them. And I think coming from, because men seem to be respected greatly in their culture, that that, that could actually help their situation. So I hope that they do do that. I kind of feel like uh, Oswelo's mom is almost like the IRS. She's like, show me all your finances and let me audit you. It just seems weird. Well, we've seen this kind of culture clash o- o- across many seasons. We saw this with Melanie and Devar. We saw this with Chantel and Pedro. Um, so we've seen this multiple times where as Americans, we don't fully grasp the concept that this is fairly common in many cultures to support your family back home or, you know, you kind of never, you incorporate your family into your new family. But to me, those were different situations because like Melanie and Devar never went without in order to send money home. Um, Chantel and Pedro, even to a degree, although we did notice that they live in a one bedroom apart, an apartment and Pedro's mother lives in like a palace compared to them because the money Mm -hmm. just goes a lot farther. But to me, it seemed like Asuelu's family either doesn't grasp or doesn't care that in order for him to give them money, his family is going to do without. And that was shocking to me. That was so shocking to me. I think it was just really sad when he said, my kids are going to die. And she mm-hmm. didn't even flinch when he said that, you know, she was kind of just like, uh, Kalani's parents are going to take care of it because Kalani's family is rich. And by the way, can we just talk about the stare down the with the sister when she says, did you, do you send money home? <laughs> I was so rooting for Kalani. Like, you go girl. I am, I am such a fan of Kalani this season. She is savage and I am enjoying every minute of it. <laughs> They I like showed- the size that matter comment too that she threw out. It's like, yes, I'm here for all the shade. <laughs> yeah. I am so I'm so excited to see next episode. It looks like from their preview that Kalani and Tammy might get into it a little bit. Do we think that's staged? I don't know why, but like it crossed my mind for a moment. I was like, I wonder if that was, but the tension seems real. Like every time that they're all together, the tension seems hundred percent real in that it makes sense that Tammy would then start to throw hands for not getting the money. Things just escalate every episode. So yeah. Well, and did you notice that I'm assuming there was a man there when they were all at that house, which I'm assuming is Tammy's house. And I'm, I'm assuming that that was Tammy's husband. He did not say a word the entire time. Yeah. And I think those were her kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she did, she did not say, or that, that guy did not say a word. He he just sat there and like witnessed this. Cause he probably is like, I've seen this a hundred times. <laughs> He's probably like, I'm broke. I've been sending money back home to their family and uh, yeah. don't do what I'm doing. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I was making fun of Oswelu a lot. I think he's a man child. He seems very emotionally immature as well. But my heart broke for him in this last episode because he's starting to realize that he is a commodity to his family. They don't, they don't care about him as a person. It's what can you do for me? And that's the opposite of how a family should be. Mm-hmm. It's just funny that before the hundred slash 1000 came up, the kiss on the, was that a kiss on the lips or the cheek? I mean, how crazy things changed once that she realized that she was only, she's getting less of a zero. <laughs> yep. Yep. Was that, a, that was, was that on the lips or on the side? I mean, it looked like pretty, it looked, it looked like the, like head the on. Of the lips, maybe. Either way, and it lingered. I I don't understand. It was the lingering part. Like, okay, let's say it was on a side. Like, okay. But it was just, it lingered for so long. And then it just felt like this romantic embrace. I really do appreciate yeah. the, you know, that we got every angle of it. And we're like, okay, well, now I'm uncomfortable too. <laughs> the look on uh, Kalini's face and uh, Kalani when they were both like, dude, what the hell is going on? Is my husband making out with, with uh, his mother? I mean, how was how her breath? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even Kalani, for like during their interviews, just kept going on and on. Like, dude, you made out with your mom. <laughs> I know. She was funny. <laughs> well, I don't think that Asuelu's family anticipated how poorly they were going to come off on television. So I, it'll be interesting to see. I it, Hopefully we'll get a reunion and we'll get some perspective from their part of how what they if they regret anything or if they are going to double down on their demands for money, it'll be really interesting. So Sinjin and Tanya, people I keep forgetting are even on the show, but we saw quite the festive uh, Sinjin in this last episode. So they're in, they're in South Africa. Now they're visiting um, his brother who had a car or motorcycle accident, car accident, and then a blood clot. Tanya has been spending time with um, Sinjin's mother and sister, but we saw him go out with um, his friends. And I think I would die if I spent a night partying with Sinjin and his friends. How about you guys? Sinjin is not coming home. <laughs> he's not. I wouldn't come home either. I mean, it's it's really heartwarming to see Sinjin so happy in his normal habitat in his hometown. And I feel like Asuela do does need a little bit of that, and and you know, mm-hmm. just having that completeness and being back home. And I think that's a big part of Asuela that's that's missing from his life. So. I, I'm happy for Sinjin that he gets to be back home and that his family is, is, is shining light on his relationship with Tanya. And he's, I mean, it just feels like he's, he realizes that he did get married a little bit too soon. And he acknowledges mm-hmm. a few times that if it wasn't because of the K-1 visa that he would wait and possibly not even be married to Tanya at all. Mm-hmm. Well, a ta- apparently... Tanya was the one night stand that never left, according to his friends. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> he was upset. He was like, why did she have to stay here? And I like the comment from the other friend, too. He was like, the hipster looking dude who looks like he owns a microbrewery. But he was like, how come I get, I'm acting like the boyfriend without all the benefits. And I like that they just opened all up about Tanya. And it was pretty scary yeah. how I about Tanya the first time we saw her. I was like, yeah, that's how I felt too. So it was nice to kind of validate. Tanya doesn't seem like the type of person that would leave, like that she would get the hint mm-hmm. to leave. You know, she just seems the type that would stay and and say, oh, I don't have a place to stay. Oh, it's so nice that I'm able to be here with you and spend all this time with you. And Sinjin is such a sweetheart. I doubt that he's going to be like, okay, well, you know, you're invading my space. Um, I think that you need to find mm-hmm. your own or whatever. I don't think that's that at all. Yeah. So her staying there and this is what happens. You get married, K-1 visa comes along and you regret all your decisions because like you said, she's uh, might stand turned into a wife. <laughs> <laughs> it just, the way they talked about her, I was like, oh damn. <laughs> Maybe her original edit was more accurate than we thought. <laughs> 
I mean, the, one of the friends even said that he's like, why is she telling me how to act in my own country? And that really, I think, hit home. I was like, I guess that shows that she was still controlling, even in, you know, to his friends. What mm-hmm. shocked yeah. me was that, so they were drinking. They looked like they had a great time, but it made me think of that saying, beer before liquor, you've never been sicker. And they were beer, and then they looked like they had whiskey. And I was like, I wonder what happened when they got home. I'd like to see that scene. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, Sinjin's a bigger guy. Those two uh, friends are twigs com- by comparison. <laughs> they had to have gotten so fucked up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, I just want to talk about how self-centered Tanya is. Everything's got to be about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that she talks to about his mom and his sister and just everything that she talks about is about her it's got to have her in it or it's got to just be about her she's super self-centered I mean I don't see this relationship lasting at all I hope they do get some counseling but I don't know I don't know they're just um yeah they're just on completely different life paths you know Tanya is very I don't know if she's even career oriented but she's very family oriented she wants to start a family Sinjin still has the mentality of someone in his early 20s he wants to travel he wants to not be tied down and so yeah I think he didn't necessarily want to break up with Tanya but I don't know if marriage was his end game it sounds like it was and it sounds like he just felt like he was rushed into it and my biggest issue that she left him for 30 days and that took away from mm-hmm. him being able to really see who she was and it seems like there's just a lot of regret coming from his place I wonder if this and you know for the preview for the next episode it kind of leads to the fact that their marriage issues are pretty deep for sure I mean every time that he gets a chance to say it he says it you know there's a lot going on it's not the perfect life at all and he admits it and she's right there next to him to hear it all so I'm glad he's mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. <sighs> we got to talk about Andre, Libby, Chuck, Charlie, the confrontation, the quote apology. What did you guys think of the dinner? Who Whose fault was, who instigated the argument? Was it Charlie or was it Andre? I think Both. that it was. Yeah, I think both. I think too that, you know, Charlie and Chuck, it was it was maybe not the right time that it's this dinner in front of all the friends. Why is it the friends' business to be involved in this? Again, it's the second marriage. This is something that probably should have been addressed in America. But I think that, you know, there's a time and a place to discuss things. And I think when it's brought up at a wrong time that that leads to strife. And that was exactly maybe what they're going for. I mean, based on how she is with how she is with her dad, it just seems like she likes controlling men. I mean, based on how her brother reacted, she's used to men who act like Andre. So it's like she's she likes this crazy chauvinistic telling you what to do type of person in her life. And I just feel like she's she lives for that. You know, I don't feel sorry for her at all anymore. I feel like she just plays both sides way too much. And she puts herself in that situation. She made her bed. She's got to sleep in it. So. Um, I also, I find it almost comical at this point when all of this stuff is coming out about the Pothas family's history with their renting houses. And we did the interview with the tenant of theirs. We know that they all have like DUIs on their records and stuff. And they're so concerned that Andre might be hiding something. It's so ironic to me to be watching this right now. It really is. It's like, how about we discuss your issues too? Especially because I think it's funny though that and I appreciate this, but Libby's like, I might not go through with the second marriage. Yeah. It just, it seems like such a joke. It's like, oh, okay. I'm so concerned that you're not going to get married a second time. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not, you're not talking about divorce. You're just talking about not having another party. Exactly. Fairy tale number two. Like what? Yeah. I mean, I, I saw that Andre's friend was trying to change the subject at the table, but Chuck just wouldn't let go. I mean, he kept pulling, pulling back into the, drama on that same subject about Andre why are you this and that and I think that they were both at fault and Mm -hmm. Chuck was using Charlie as you know as his pit bull almost like Charlie ask whatever you got to ask as temptational if you have to be 
He wants to look like the good guy, but he's sending his kid in to do all the dirty work. Can we talk, too, about this whole macho man thing? So first, Charlie's like, yeah, I could take him. And then he's like, Andre's so big and muscular. And it's like, pick one. Do you think you could beat him? Or do you think that Andre's intimidating? And kind of was curious, you know, who do you guys think would win that fight? Not that they'd ever actually fight, but. Yeah, I I think um, Andre 100% would uh beat charlie's ass in a, in a, if it came to hand-to-hand combat especially <laughs> since he's a bouncer i feel like he knows how to take someone down yeah and i i don't think um charlie has gotten his hands dirty very much in his life <laughs> no this seems like way too scripted this time around you know with the dinner and it's I'm getting really turned off by by Libby's family drama. I kind of fast forward through it now. Yeah, especially when Andre and Libby were having that conversation in the park. I was thinking to myself and I was like, if I'm having an argument with my husband, I wouldn't start walking and stop to turn to him to then discuss something, then turn back and start walking. I was like, this is like what happens in movies, not in real life arguments that you have with your spouse. But ladies, Andre did apologize. It doesn't seem like he apologized as much at all in his life. So he did apologize and he said that the alcohol was king and we know we know what alcohol does. It is the truth serum. Mm-hmm. He did say too that he literally could not afford not to apologize. So I found that funny. He wants a second wedding and, you know, Chuck is going to pay for it. So he's going to apologize. And I think the whole time he was apologizing, it was more towards Chuck than mm-hmm. Charlie, right? I mean, he didn't shake Charlie's hand at all. Mm-hmm. Totally. It was interesting, though, that Chuck wanted the apology to be 100% from from uh, Andre. And I thought that that conversation was weird. He was like, I was hoping you wouldn't do this because Andre was trying to say, hey, look, we're both to blame. Like, let's just make amends and move on. Mm-hmm. Chuck was like, nope, I want you to 100% take full responsibility for everything that happened. And I thought that was immature because, I mean, they it was both people involved in it, not 100% Andre. Mm-hmm. The fact is, <laughs> Andre's and his, the fact is, the oh, fact yeah. is that we were both wrong. We're not talking about finances. I like that he wants to throw that in. He's like, no, let me secure the piggy bank. Let's talk it. Let me just pacify you guys so you can pay for my dream wedding. Yeah. Oh, can we can we talk about um, Chuck's comment about Andre's family living in the ghetto? Oh my goodness, the project. The like, projects. It was so. Hor- I my my jaw dropped. I was like, there's no way that this just happened. And just speaks to their character too. Honestly, that. Well, and I mean, I mean, we haven't seen very much of the rest of Moldova, but, you know, um, when I was living in New York, a lot of apartment complexes look very similar to each other. That Airbnb that they're staying at seems so out of place. Right. But uh, so I don't I don't know what the rest of Moldova looks like, but I don't think where his parents live is very uncommon for I think it's a typical family dwelling for Moldova. And so, yeah, I, I, that was very offensive. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't even throw it past TLC if they really filmed in like South Beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a viewer's confession here for y'all. Okay. Libby's dad calling Andre's parents' apartment the projects is one of the most ignorant, rude, and judgmental bullshit I've heard on this show. How about you leave your little privileged Florida bubble and learn about the world and other cultures? What an ass. It's too, it's too much and it's cringe because it's like, that's, that's not a great representation of what a lot of people here are like. I actually thought a little bit higher of Chuck until he said that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. That was where I lost all respect for him. I mean, not that I had much to start with, but, you know, I thought, okay, he's trying to help his family. He's trying to help Libby. He understands that she married someone who's lazy and doesn't think that getting a full-time job is a necessity in America. But when mm-hmm. he said that it was just an unnecessary dis, especially after we saw that huge dinner and just the love that Andre's family poured out. It's like, I get you have issues with Andre, but mm-hmm. why insult his family? Andre right. doesn't live there, so you're insulting these people that welcomed you with mm-hmm. open arms and wanted to have a big family. It's right. disgusting. They laid out a platter of food for him, and he's 
that goes to two faiths chuck you know like oh wow we're really appreciative of mm -hmm. of the hospitality and it was really nice of them and then mm -hmm. he goes around calling them that telling the world that they live in the projects come on well and let's not forget the fact that uh, we can speculate as to the true nature of Andre's law enforcement career, but he, he said he was making 200 euro a month. And that was part of the reason why he moved to Ireland. I don't think I personally, I don't think that Andre moved to Ireland for any nefarious reasons. I think he just saw an opportunity to better his financial situation. I, th I really feel like it's as simple as that. And I feel like he's just not the type of guy that wants to pull out his resume every time he has a conversation with Libby's parents. Mm -hmm. He definitely doesn't seem like the type of guy that has, that wants to prove himself to anybody. You know, he, yeah. he, he puts himself on a pedestal. He thinks that he's better than everybody. He thinks that he's entitled to, mm -hmm. to, even to all of Chuck's money, of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's just a, a toxic relationship between the family. I mean, Andre already speaking badly of Libby's family before they even step off the plane to his own family. Yeah. Says a lot about what's going to happen. I think too that, you know, he talked about the bribery and that that was how a lot of, I guess, cops get their work. But he, when, he, when he said that he was like a detective, right, for mm -hmm. comparison's sake, that he said it was just really difficult. I wonder if maybe in their country that maybe they don't follow such a stringent law and that was why it was just something that in his inner core felt like it wasn't right and just getting out of there was the right thing to do. I don't know if that's just being blindly optimistic or blindly positive about it, but who knows? Yeah, I, and we'll see. We know that they're going to get married. I mean... So we'll see that come up. I can't wait for Jen and her mom to get there. That, that'll okay. add another fun layer. But speaking of toxic, so we uh, meet up with Angie and Mackel. And uh, <laughs> we see a lot of Aunt Lydia in this last episode, which was nice. But Angela seemed to be very surprised that premarital counseling or going to some sort of counselor was going to be requ required. Um, what did you guys think of her just surprised at that? Did, did uh, Usman and Lisa have to go through this whole like marriage um, counseling thing before they got married? I don't remember seeing that at all. I don't remember either. So if they did, they didn't show it. Uh, really all they focused on with them was, uh, Lisa's divorce certificate. They also didn't mention tuning a witness. So th there's a lot of things that just kind of feel a little odd with the situation. Mm -hmm. I wonder what kind of marriage that they had done because they were explaining, you know, in 1999, I think it was, that they changed the constitution. There were three groups of marriages. We didn't see any of that with Lisa and Usman. It was very different. So I am curious about that. I mean, Angela is a very bossy person. Mm -hmm. She's definitely not the submissive Nigerian wife that Michael thinks he's going to marry into. And I'm not sure why Michael is constantly, it's almost like he has hope that Angela's going to change. Like she's not going to change. How old is this woman? She's, she's like in her golden years. I don't want, you know, she's probably not in her golden <laughs> years. I take it back now. She's not in she, her golden years. She's in her mid fifties for sure. She, she's in her mid fifties. She's not going to be learning any new tricks, mm -mm. you know, and she's not going to change her ways. It's just sad for me to feel that Michael constantly has hope for Angela. And it's like, there's no hope there. You're going to get what you get. And that's it. That was one of the times I did side with Angela. You know, she was like, it, why in front of Aunt Lydia that you're saying one thing and then in front of True. you're, saying you're being mm -hmm. two-faced. And so I was like, yeah, I'm glad that she's calling him out in front of Aunt Lydia. So she knows that Michael is trying to play both sides. I mean, I, I understand it was, he was trying to pacify his family and make it seem like it was okay to marry Angela, but I mean, they've been together for so long. Like, I feel like there should be more transparency with both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. To me also, it was just, so in, in religious Christian weddings in the United States, it, 
in the church that I grew up in, it, it's, it's required to do at least two or three premarital counseling. My, me and my husband went through that. Um, so I feel like it's not uncommon, it's especially in religious countries. So I, I didn't really <laughs> understand why Angela was so taken aback by that. I also looked up that the Nigerian divorce rate is less than 1%, and the American oh, divorce wow. rate is somewhere between 40 and 50%. Now, there's obviously other... Uh, I don't know how hard it is to get divorced or what you have to prove to get divorced in Nigeria or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But there is something to be said for, <laughs> you know, hashing things out before getting into a marriage so that the marriage doesn't just fall apart. So mm -hmm. I, I found that very interesting too. What do you guys think? That is very interesting. I, I, I don't know, like you said, if, if the divorce process is as hard as it is in India for submit, you know, people saying mm -hmm. sometimes it takes four years. So it almost seems like if it's really that hard in a lot of these countries that people just don't follow through with it, people don't file for divorce, they just divorce, you know, and mm -hmm. not not paper divorce, but yeah, considering the self divorce. So I don't see that I see that these numbers are, are they might, it might be pretty accurate. It seems mm -hmm. pretty right because a lot of my, a lot of the friends that I have that are in third world countries and in, in uh, different continents don't get divorced, even if they want to, they can't. Yeah. So I've, I've found that pretty interesting. Also, you know, they, they really emphasize this idea that the woman is submissive in um, Nigerian marriages, which Angela was not having. <sighs> this is uh, we, I mean, we know they do get married, but I just find it so interesting that clearly Angela doesn't want him to have any side chicks, she said. She's not down for him taking another wife. She is not going to be able to produce a child for him. I just don't, it, it seems like she's not facing reality or maybe Michael's not facing reality. I, I don't know. You know, I... I do have a, an, a viewer's confession for you here that relates right to that topic. Mm -hmm. Angela, Angela knew Michael wanted kids. She knew that from day one. He was honest and upfront about wanting to be a father. Now Angela gets mad that he's disappointed she may not be able to tote. She's a selfish old goat. Move on, Michael. <laughs> She's not worth it. I appreciate the rhyming in there. You know, yeah. <laughs> she, she is pretty selfish and in a way I mean but again if she's in her 50s she's not here for games she's going to be up front it's better to be up front in a relationship yeah. period so I respect Angela for being that way but I mean she did say that she would try to have a child mm -hmm. you know and I think Michael took that as like he's going to have a child mm -hmm. you know but why can't they they have a surrogate Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or adoption or something. Well, I guess it's important for him to continue the family line. But um, to me, I, I don't know how much uh, Michael is educated on female anatomy and reproduction and all that. But it almost seems like Angela has been overhyping her ability to carry a child that I don't know if Michael has fully realized like this makes no sense. There is no yeah. doctor in the United States that's going to perform IVF on a 54-year-old smoker. <laughs> like, no way. No way. And that's just way too expensive. It's going to cost a lot of money for mm -hmm. Angela. And it's like, how much money does Angela make? She's, she's in hospice. Am I wrong? Am I right? Yeah. She's in, yeah. She's in hospice care. And I don't know how much money people in that field make, but to do IVF, it's, it's really expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think too, though, you know, and at least with the one component that she's like, I am not okay with you ever having a side chick or any other females, you know, and, but he's also been telling her, I want a baby. So it just, I wonder why it's, it's been the same storyline for how many seasons have they been on? And part of me wants them to move on. Like, okay, we get it. You want a baby. She can't have a baby. There's no toting mm -hmm. a baby, you know, mm -hmm. and she, he can't have side chicks. Now what? Yeah, we just see a conclusion to it. I know it's like Michael goes back and forth between like, oh, it scares me to think that Angela won't have a baby, but it scares me. It scares him to also think about not marrying Angela. So it's like, is he? I think that he wanted a green card 
in the beginning, mm-hmm. but then he just fell in love with Angela, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then the whole baby talk came and everything. So I think the green card was first and then the, yeah. the love and the baby what came after. Mm-hmm. So it's like, he's still in his mindset wanting and needing or wanting to get, to get out of Nigeria to, to have a better life. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's always in the back of my, my mind when I think, of, you know, Angela and my, why he would want to deal with somebody mm-hmm. like Angela. Yeah. Well, this will be really interesting. I, I'm very excited to see their wedding, actually. It should be a good time. Let's dig up the dead, shall we, with Larissa and Eric <laughs> Um, One of the things I did not catch, but Larissa is going on and on about staying at Eric's when they could call the cops on her. Did David or Eric actually threaten to call the cops on her? I think he did saying that he could. That, that mm. was like a, mm-hmm. not a direct threat, but it was like undertones of a threat that, well, if he did do this, then he would have a good point to do it. And that they, mm. you know, he kind of went on for like a minute. And that's what made me feel like maybe it was a, it wasn't like a blatant threat, but it was like, hey, Larissa, like you, this should be in the back of your mind. Yeah. To me, I just feel like he's, she needs to just set her priorities straight. I mean, she's getting $10,000 than cosmetic surgery mm-hmm. face or fillers or bolts or whatever but she can't find her own place you know yeah. i mean yes the whole botox and fillers might be free because you know she does free advertising for them and everything but it's like larissa just needs to get her priorities together mm-hmm. she really does i resonate with everybody that's asking where her kids you know why why is it so important for you to chase all these men and be controlling and do all this stuff and be on tlc at the end, of, yeah. to be honest, this most recent episode felt like Larissa was just trying to be, and it's, I don't understand. I'm like, what about your kids? Like, how as a mom, do you just think, you know, that's fine. They're with my parents. I don't care. She mm-hmm. doesn't really seem to care. She seems more concerned about, you know, everybody, her sex reputation is better. Yeah. Almost like she cared more about her not having much experience giving blowjobs than, you know, worrying about other things, right? But Mm -hmm. you know what, somebody did mention that those children in in her home state might be from rape, might be from, from, um, yeah, might be from something that she's not, you know, what do you want? That would be terrible. Yeah, some non-consensual situation. Right, exactly. So somebody was saying that, you know, uh, you can't really judge a book by cover. These children might be accidents, might be from non-consensual situations, and therefore she's in the situation that she's in. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of, when I read that, I said, you know what, it could be, could be a possibility, you know, but I'm, a lot of people are saying, hey, if, you, if you're a mother and you're having children, you should be a mother. Well, we just don't know anything about them. So all we, all we can do is speculate. So it is what it is there. But um, did, you guys, did you guys know that her net worth is $500,000? What? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said too. I, don't, I doubt that because I saw something that said that Kehlani and uh, Oswelo had a net worth of $2 million. It's outrageous. And I think that these are just, it's the same thing as Wikipedia. You can write in whatever you want and there's no fact checks behind it. Oh, mm-hmm. shoot. That makes sense why Oswelo's mom is like, you're hiding the money. <laughs> Oswelo's mom went on Wikipedia. <laughs> I think too that I remember a while ago, because everybody was like, where's the dad of your kids, you know? And she said that, you know, she had a relationship with this man named Marcos Hack, and he was a cross-dresser and bisexual, and that he was cheating on her with many other men. So that's the father of one of her children, and she said that it broke my heart, and I was depressed, and that was why they broke up. So it's interesting. I don't know about, you know, her other child, but I know that one of their children, that was what happened with the father. Interesting. That's interesting. That was with her son. Well... We did see Adam, who is the best attorney in Nevada, 
<laughs> according to Larissa, um, tells her to avoid toxic relationship patterns. But we see she's on social media going strong with Eric. So <laughs> I'm so interested because we know Colt pulled his affidavit of support. What is her immigration status at this point? Is she, is it still in flux? Is she technically here illegally? I'm very confused and I'm interested to know, like, what is going on with her case? I know that she's, I'm assuming, finished her probation. So from that standpoint, Mm -hmm. she's fine. But what about immigration-wise? Is she... Well, I want to know, too, what happened with, if we think back to Fernanda and Jonathan, they got a divorce, but was that after she had her green card? Or did she get her citizenship after they got divorced? Yeah, and and, and it's unclear. I don't know if um, Jonathan, because we, you know, Danielle and Muhammad got divorced. Mm-hmm. Ash, Ashley and Jay, well, they're back together. But, you know, a bunch of people have gotten divorced on the show, and the person has stayed in the United States, but we've never heard of someone actually pulling their like Molly and Louise. I think Louise was in New York for a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know how all of that works, but it'll be interesting to see like what happens with her. Still don't really know why she's even on the show, but <laughs> she does make for good memes and for good TV. What happens between her and Carmen? I mean, she did go to Carmen's house bitching about Eric again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now I guess Carmen has written Eric off and Larissa off completely. Well, if we look at social media, it looks like Larissa and Eric are living together and that they, because Eric posted his house up for sale, right? And it's because it's been on national TV, it's worth way more than it really is. Oh, God. But that they are moving somewhere. I don't know where they plan on moving, but they're moving out of Las Vegas. So I mm. couldn't believe that she just stayed with Eric. So all this drama, we see that she still stuck it through with him. Uh Let's uh, wrap up with Paul and Karini. No surprise, Paul still doesn't have a job. But apparently, um, according to him, being on his phone and doing cameos constitutes networking. Is that networking? (laughs) I mean, he constantly says, I change all the poopy diapers. I do all the cleaning in this house. I do everything for Karini. If I get a job, who's going to change Pierre's diapers? (laughs) that's something he's even thrown out on social media is this is a big point of contention for them is that he does so much around the house and Karini does nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, she does seem to be in the throes of some serious, I don't know if it's postpartum or just generalized depression, but she looks absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. And it and it's so sad. She can't. She k- literally can't escape him. He bangs and har- harangues her mm-hmm. outside of the bathroom, which, according to him, she'll sometimes be in there for hours and hours. Right. But she, she, four, she, she, four yeah, or she, five hours at a time. That's like, mm-hmm. it's crazy in the bathroom. You're definitely trying to get away from from, yeah. from Paul. But there's literally nowhere for her to go. And I just feel so bad for her. They, they're they in a one room, like tiny home type situation. Literally the bathroom is like the only place she can get privacy. And he won't even leave her alone. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I feel really bad for Karini. I hope that she's okay. Um, a lot of people are are saying that Rainy is lazy and that she doesn't do anything. And like you said, um, Sarah, that it could be postpartum mm-hmm. depression, part postpartum going through, and just knowing that you don't have have your family there, you're alone. I mean, Mother Mary came and tried to console her, and she was just like, "No, you know, I don't. Yeah, it's not going to help. I need my family." She just needs to take Pierre and go back, go back home where, mm-hmm. where she's loved and he could be very well taken care of, accepted by her whole entire family. I mean, this whole thing with Paul's parents not being as welcoming as Karini's parents were, I think it's just very wrong. Yeah, I think it's hard to, I think it's a cultural difference, you know, that in mm-hmm. maybe the American culture, it's more so, look, Paul, we need you to stand on your feet. You need to be a man. You're old 
enough by now to be able to do that. But in their culture, it's, you know, families live closer together and that it's, you know, just difference. But one thing that stood out to me and that kind of bothered me was that, you know, their their baby Pierre was just laying in bed while everybody was outside. And Mm -hmm. I like that we did get those camera shots because it made me feel like, okay, well, Paul and Karini are out having their fight and neglecting their baby, but at least there's a TLC cameraman that's watching their baby. Yeah. I heard a little. Oh, for sure. Um, a little bit of social media tea. Karini's brother did post a picture of Pierre a couple days ago. To me, Pierre looks older in the picture. So people are speculating that maybe she is back in Brazil, but then other people mm-hmm. are saying that that would be parental kidnapping, that Paul would have to like give permission. So do you guys think that she's in Brazil or I don't know. I, I think Paul's kept all the necessary, documents in a safe backpack with a lock <laughs> so in this way you know Karini doesn't do that I, I think that he realizes that especially in the last episode where he states that Karini might just hop on a plane without me and go to Brazil so he acknowledges and realizes that this is something that she is going to do so I think Paul being the sketchy person that he is and the crazy person that he is, that he's going to keep those documents like the birth certificate and, mm-hmm. and even passports to himself just so he can have that control over Karimi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of 90 Days on Fire. As always, I'm Reality Squad here with Tote the Memes and 90 Days of Drama. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. As always, you can follow us on Instagram at 90 Days on Fire Podcast. And from there, you can follow us all individually. We'll see you um, in the next episode where we're going to recap the other way.